0: One, two, three, yeah, good, that's great. Hey, we're heading back into Matthew today. Um, How many of us have created traditions uh, in our families? Anybody created any traditions? Yeah, we're kind of into the traditions. Uh, How about morning rituals? How many of you have morning rituals, and what are they? Do you have any? Yeah, somebody said, brush your teeth, good, I'm glad you do, You hit the snooze button. What else? Coffee. Yeah, coffee. Yeah, you know. Some of us grab for our phones. I mean, we have all of these things that we do uh, almost habitual. I mean, they just happen, right? They just kind of flow out of us. And those can be seen and are uh, in some ways called rituals or they are traditions for you. Uh, Find, take one of those, and stop doing it for a couple of days, and see if anybody else notices. Especially brushing your teeth. Yeah, you know, you see what I'm saying? I mean, you know, kind of moves us out of our equilibrium a little bit. So um, we tend to send the set these up for our kids often, but even as adults, we have them, and even. Our dog has rituals. It is just incredible. You guys have animals. You know that, right? So Otis, our Springer Spaniel, has his routines. He has a lot of them, and uh, he lives to them. Uh, some of them we like, some of them we don't like so much. So uh, one of them, though, is based on our, our routine of making coffee every night, right? We grind uh, grind my beans, get them set, set the coffee maker up so that I don't have to wait for my coffee when I walk down the stairs. It is waiting for me. I love that. And so immediately when he hears us grinding the beans, whether it's Kathy or myself, he stands at the door to be let out. Now, he goes out a lot, Uh, But he knows that this is his last time he makes his rounds and gets to bark at all of our neighbors, and I'm sure they love us. I'm sure they love us for this dog, but he just goes there and waits, right? I mean, um, just crazy. And like I said, if we just move a few of these traditions or these rituals that we uh, have and do in our lives and we move them to another place or we stop doing them, how crazy things start to unwind. Especially if you have littles in your house, right? Little kids, uh, you know, children. It just really messes them up. Um, and uh, can mess everybody up then when that happens. Um, yet, while traditions are good and rituals are good, um, they're meant for us if we look at them inside, uh, especially inside the organ organization or organism of the community of faith they're meant to move us not away from God think about this but they're actually meant to move us toward him and actually toward other people that's what they're intended to do that's that's their whole that's their structure about them but this is the truth traditions and rituals can move us away from relationships can move us away from relationships so my my friend jeff up there is going to just remind us of a few things that maybe a few of us remember um, through this play movie and song and how do we keep our balance that i can tell you in one word tradition Ready? Tradition, 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 you're yes, out there singing. Yeah. So how do we keep our balance? Traditions, traditions. So into our p- passage, but before we get into it, Uh, The Jews were serious about Sabbath, absolutely serious. And how serious were they? Well, there's uh, some historical documentation that they took it so seriously that when an enemy attacked on Sabbath, uh, in the Sabbath days in the Maccabees, they let themselves be slaughtered because they took it so seriously, men, women, and children, rather than breaking the Sabbath. At a later time, Pompey was able to erect the earthworks that made his siege of Jerusalem successful, uh, quite unhindered by the defenders, because he did it on, you guessed it, the Sabbath. The Jews were ready to suffer rather than to break the Sabbath. And it's clear from all four of our Gospels, And one we're going to look at today, that Jesus had continuing controversy related to the tradition and the establishment of Sabbath. Theologian points out that the Sabbath was the only symbol particular to Judaism. Uh, Not a bad tradition, as we will find out, but it was a tradition, nonetheless, that often caused them harm. To most Jews, now check this out, you have to have this contrasting thing going on. To most Jews and of our passage, the Sabbath was a delight. Seriously a delight. Even though there was a, there were mass regulations drawn up with the laudable in- intention of ensuring that the days were kept holy. That's really what's transpiring here. I mean... And some of these regulations were were very curious as we read them today in our 21st century mindset, not then in their context or place, but we find them to be rather curious. Yet, can I just tell you, they were all led, they were meant to lead one to a deeper relationship with the Holy One and a deeper relationship with one another. So let's take a look at our passage in Matthew chapter 12. It Starts out, at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain to eat them. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him on the screen, look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. Well, we could stop right there because they're poised not for seeing the kingdom develop. They're poised to find something in error. There are fences to help keep uh, sheep or animals in, right? I mean, we build fences if you live on a farm or have lived on a farm or you've driven by a farm. You realize that they need to have fences to keep the animals in. Otherwise, we'll be hitting them all the time, right? But I think if we drove by a sheep farm that had a double-layered fencing, we would kind of sit there and scratch our heads a little bit. We would kind of, kind of, you know, wonder like, wow, it must have taken a lot of effort to put up two fences to keep those, fe- uh, to keep the sheep in, instead of just putting up one fence, right? Uh, uh, if you were driving down the road and you looked at the median on your side of the road, not the other side of the road, I realize that there are two guardrails on the road, but on your side of the road, whatever direction you're traveling, you looked over and you went, hey, why are there two guardrails keeping? keeping the cars on this side in the lane. You kind of wonder what's wrong with our situation with MDOT and wondering why we have a double-layered guardrail going on. But in many cases around the Sabbath and around many of the traditions that we find Jesus in contention with, that is exactly what has transpired. The Pharisees wanting to keep the day holy... And not only holy and almost separate from humane, have have built double fencing around the Sabbath. It is an incredible thing. This type of redundancy went on not only around Sabbath, but it went around a lot of other things and overburdening the people and separating the humanity of what the Sabbath was to be about from, from it. It's just incredible. Jesus' disciples, his followers, were just simply walking along that day and grabbed some heads of grain because they were hungry, and they began to munch on them. Uh, you might do just the same. The Pharisees were into the ritualistic behavior that often shut out the humanity, which, was, which is in the traditions, and Jesus begins to point this out in this passage, that Sabbath is not devoid of humanity. A Sabbath is something you, he does want them to keep. Don't, get, don't read this as if Jesus is obliterating Sabbath. That is not the case at all. But what he is saying is that these traditions that are handed down and that we are to keep are handed down with the, the idea of moving us toward God and keeping God where he needs to be. So Jesus comes to fulfill the law and the prophets to, and actually to write them. We see this in Matthew chapter 5. And he, if you remember, if you want to go back there, he has these phrases, you have heard it said, but I say. The crazy is that he doesn't just contain them to the Sermon on the Mount. They are, that phrase is seen in this passage here, that he sees it. We have to continually ask ourselves, who is Jesus to us around this, though? I mean, when he starts to uh, take on some of the very things that we hold sacred, we have to ask our, our, the question just that they were having to ask who is this guy? Is he the Messiah? Is he the Son of God? Is he just a good teacher? And we too, I think, when we come up to these passages in Matthew or in other places where we have to wrestle with uh, the truth of what Jesus is saying, we have to ask, who is he? And who is he to me? Not just who is he in the Apostles' Creed or who is he that Matthew says he is, but who is he personally to me? Jesus is saying to us and to them, there is more to the Sabbath. There is more to the Sabbath than meets the eye and that what you have put around it. So if you have your Bibles in chapter 12, verse 3, he says, he answered it with this. Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and he, he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests to do. So he identifies rightly that this consecrated bread wasn't for David and his companions who were being, by the way, chased, but it was actually for the priests. The the Pharisees have an issue with this grain eating that his disciples are doing, but Jesus asks him, have you done your reading? Do you know your Old Testament? Which is kind of, by the way, kind of like a, a little bit of an assault, A little bit of a directed kind of like, uh, you better go back and do your homework because you're not paying attention. But what he points out there is that David and his companions were not in error by eating the dedicated food. They were hungry. They were literally hungry and the food that was consecrated for the Levites was, was for them to eat. So in this case, and in the case what we see is hunger is greater than the consecrated bread in the temple. In this instance, hunger is greater than the consecrated bread in the temple. He goes on, or haven't you read in the law that the priests on the Sabbath, on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? And you may be going, well, how do they desecrate it? Because what are the what what are they doing on the Sabbath? What are the priests doing? They're working. They're actually, they're actually uh, you know, offering offerings to the Lord. They are doing things that other people are told not to do. He says, hey, have you thought through this? Are you thinking through this tradition that you say needs to be held so tightly that sacred duty is greater than the Sabbath? That a sacred duty on behalf of others is greater than the Sabbath. Then here he is at it again. He doesn't stop. He's not just about keeping the law, but he's he's superseding the law. He's saying, keep the law, but understand what it's there for. He's redefining it in its true form. He goes in verse 6, I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words meant, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. What is this something that's greater? What is this something? If you didn't catch it, everyone in that, that space would have. It is Jesus. He's saying, I'm here right now. I'm in your midst, and I am greater than the Sabbath, but I'm, I'm, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. While the Pharisees are attempting to pin back Jesus' ears, if you will, he takes on the whole temple. And says, look, I'm greater than this. There's a great temptation to slide into doing the thing over against the richness of the relationship that it's supposed to be developing. And that's what he's tackling here, that they, con- they created contrived ritualism and traditions which moved them away from the relationships with God and with others in regards to the Sabbath, in regards to humanity, Jesus walked with the man and woman in the cool of the evening when he placed them in the garden. Uh, think about that. I, I realize it kind of seems like out of place, but why did, he, why did God create man and woman? To have a relationship with them. Not, necess- not to create rules and rituals that they're found in, but to find them in a deep and rich relationship. He goes on. We're to be doing good. Do good. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a, uh, with a shriveled hand was there looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus. He asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Jesus, uh, you know, and he said to them, they're asking him, hey, is it lawful? This person has a shriveled hand, is it lawful? He said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? Won't you do the right thing when the right thing is presented to you? Won't you do good when it's right there to do it? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. Excuse me. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. A large crowd followed him, and he healed all who were ill. He warned them not to tell the others about it. Dale Bruner says this when a person penetrates the vitals of a movement as Jesus does in every religion and ideology he confronts, showing the movement 's practical and even biblical obsolescence, that, that person threatens a movement intolerably. Uh, Jesus presents to them what was not what wasn 't working and was is not working. The, the Pharisees want to test Jesus, and Jesus pointing out to them. That what they have is empty r- ritualism or empty religion. A religion that does not care for the person or the people around them. I mean, Jesus is just saying are people important? Are, are there hurts? Is there healing? Do they need help? Jesus is saying that the Sabbath is centered on and around, yes, honoring God, but on this humanity and the welfare and well-being of those around us. He is proclaiming the message of the kingdom over and over again, that it's not only about living to God, which we want to do, but it's about bringing God to the very people around us. The more There is more than the action of the religious activity. The idea of doing good was about bringing his love to others. So Jesus looks around in all of this, and not only does he heal the man's hand, but he looks around and sees around him that there are all of these people following him, right? And what does he do? He heals them. He heals all who are ill and just continues to compound and make his point made that the Sabbath was not only about this, this tradition of not doing anything. In fact, it's less than that, but it's about really bringing healing and hope to those around him. It's interesting, as it always is, when Jesus tells his his. Those he heals not to tell others around him, right? Like, hey, don't say anything. As if no one will notice that somebody's walking who didn't walk before. Or can see who can't see. I mean, I don't know. All I can tell you is that there's a timing. There's a timing to Jesus' kingdom. And there's a mission that he's on and a purpose around it that's a part of that request. How that's lived out in its practical time, it's just like if some of you came forward a little bit later and there was something in your life you were, you know, Lord healed, but he whispers into your ear, hey, don't don't say anything, but you were limping when you came up and you ran when you went away, right? I don't understand. But what we do know is what Matthew points and writes to And he writes in Isaiah 42 for us that the one that they are following is a servant, a servant of all. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love, and whom I delight, and I will put my spirit on him. And he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he has brought justice through to victory. In his name the nations will put their hope. It is our dream, right? That our, our doing comes from our being. That our doing, who we, who we are comes from who we are, right? That what we do comes from who we are. I mean, yet, this is the interesting thing. He continues to press us to live that out, to try to get to the, to the core of a relationship with him. And he does this by Jesus himself really being who we expect him to be. Rarely being who we expect him to be. I mean, as followers of Jesus, that has the power to shape us, right? When we say, it should look like this, and he says, no, it's gonna look like this instead. As the Pharisees listened to this, they had to be challenged, and all the disciples around him, to the very truth that was being presented to them that day. But as he shows up and he often is not who we expect him to be, it does have this ability to distract us from him. Uh, To distract us from that place of mystery and the continual place of surrender that he calls us into as followers of Jesus. The Pharisees had a tough time with this. And I do believe that the disciples did too, that they were found in these places and spaces with, in conversations. They grabbed the grain because they were hungry. I'm not sure that they were, they were probably cognizant that they were, you know, violating Sabbath, but hunger preceded it on a very base level for them, I'm guessing. But Jesus uses this and knew he would use this to change and to move them to the real meaning behind Sabbath, to a deep place of continual mystery and surrender about who Jesus is and the need to press into the more of who Jesus is to us. See, Jesus is always calling us to more as followers of Jesus. The conflict with the Pharisees revealed that they, could, they couldn't see beyond the ritual that they had for God about Sabbath and around Sabbath. It has become something that they just simply did over and over again. They simply applied over and over again to those around them. And Jesus is consistently inviting the Pharisees as well as his own disciples into the kingdom. I don't know if he necessarily did it to embarrass them or to put them in their place as we might say. I think he was attempting to try to show them that there is something more to what you have. In fact, he tells us that the Pharisees have something that we need to ascribe to, their righteousness. He doesn't always put them in a bad space or place. And I think he was attempting to try to encourage them to him. But Jesus knew that their religious activity without relationship would be ritualism. It would be ritualism Jesus was not calling them from Sabbath-keeping, but actually calling them into a deeper way of Sabbath-keeping that really that, that moved them into the kingdom life, that they would be able to breathe life through it. And also, we also come to realize that ritualism without relationship leads to paralysis, doesn't it? Now, think about this in regards to your own relationship with either your best friend or your spouse. You do the same things over and over and over again every single week. You don't consider whether they are, they're moving you to a deeper relationship, but you just do them because that works. How long with, with this idea that it works? will leave you in this place of lacking a relationship with your spouse or your best friend. You always go to the coffee shop and you always talk about the same things. You never move beyond those topics. You, with your spouse, you always talk about the kids when you come home, what they did or didn't do. You, you find out what's, what's for dinner, whether you eat out or you stay at home. You watch the news I mean, the the rituals we have can move us away from relationships and Sabbath is no different. But there is a deeper call to this that he is calling us to, right? It moves us into this place of once we find out we're in this place of paralysis, our relationship is, is, is not healthy. But the reality is that having a deep relationship with God is costly. It is extremely costly, and it's far easier to live in ritualism or tradition or religiosity than it is to have a deep relationship that moves you toward God. He will ask for intimacy into your lives and into my lives and as a community into our lives that sometimes is challenging for us. This is the sa- this is, he's not abandoning Sabbath. He's not abandoning, but he's saying, let's move into the core of what it is for us. Otherwise, we find ourselves stuck in religion. And when we find ourselves stuck in religion, we don't realize the reasons or the cause that he has for us to follow some of the very guidelines of life and living that he calls us to. Right? Do you not lie? Do you not steal? Maybe those are some of the easy ones. Right? But we, when we follow him, I mean, Paul prays both in Ephesians and Philippians that our love would grow deeper. Maybe you remember that from reading in Philippians this last month that our love would, for Christ would grow deeper, that it wouldn't stay status quo necessarily, that it would move deeper with him and in him. And in Ephesians, he calls for us that we would have the depth of Christ and the knowledge and the mystery of who he is. Uh, this call by Jesus to the Pharisees was a move to move them in. Here's a couple of places we can get find ourselves stuck in. Let me give you a practical God loves me yeah sure he loves you but if God loves you keeps you only where you're at you're not understanding that God's love is a moving car not a parking spot it's a moving car not a parking spot God's love moves you to a depth in his life his life and his teaching and preaching is something you have to respond to it's something you have to say yes to and move to it's not something you just do right? Or formulas we can find ourselves in, A plus B equals C. And that may work for a while, but how many of you are doing, still doing the same devotions or the same readings or the same ways of uh, even making food in your home that you did when you were first learning how to cook? You don't do them the same. You grow, you develop. Hopefully, you're using uh, more flavors when you cook, too, you know? We tend to, our parents tend to limit us and kind of go, okay, let's make sure it's, we can eat this, right? But as we grow, right, it's the same way in our relationship with God. Here's another way to ask it. Are we loving God and loving people more? Uh, Is our relationship with God moving us in that way? Is it moving us in that direction? And I think that that's also a perpetual question for us. Just moving along. Formulas and predictability will keep us from intimacy. Will keep us from intimacy. Our traditions and formulas and rituals move in the direction of keeping us from relationship with God who loves us. When we, come, when we don't come on, a, uh, when we gather as a community, on yep, on every, every week, yep, traditionally on a Sunday morning with the expectation that God is going to bring and break something new, we will always get the same. We will always get the same. But if you come with the idea that he has something new to share with you through someone else, through his spirit, not through a magic trick or even my words, but through him, he will bring it to you. We put God in a box, he'll, he, he can't be placed in a box, but if you place him in a box, he'll stay in that box. This is exactly what's transpiring with the Pharisees and Jesus in this place and space, that they have placed him in a in a container. They put him in a place where he wants to break out and he demonstrates to them, wait, you've missed it. But he demonstrates to them that that they can see and move differently. Now, what I love about this passage of Scripture is this, is that while we didn't read it, the total passage Matthew writes in Isaiah 42 for us. So maybe, maybe, just maybe you're a little leery about allowing God to move you to a depth of relationship that may be a little more costly, may move you to a place that is difficult or new or challenging. But what we have is a a Savior who knows us, and specifically does not, will not bruise a reed, right? I mean, it's gentle with us and moves us. So what is our next step? If, If Jesus was attempting to invite the Pharisees into a deeper kingdom life around this idea of Sabbath, of which they were watching for error, not watching for relationship, what is he attempting to do for us today? I think he's attempting to have you move into a deeper relationship where maybe you need some healing physical healing, emotional healing, spiritual healing. Remember, he healed, healed the, the man whose arm needed to be healed. He healed those around him. He looked around and said, What do you need on this Sabbath day? Not tomorrow, today. What do you need? Do you need hope? Do you need more of the Spirit? Do you need some guidance in your life? You see, Jesus is continually calling us into a kingdom life. He is const- constantly and continually calling us through the traditions, if you will. There's a problem with them, but through the traditions into the more. In Ephesians 3, in Ephesians 3 20, it says, Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power to work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we could ever ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. What does it say? That it's Christ, it's God who by his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we could ever ask or think. So what would you ask God today? What would you ask of him today? With, with expectation, with anticipation that he would fulfill what you would request. What richness of relationship is he calling you today? As the worship team comes, we're going to invite you to use the altar as a means of asking God for help, for healing, for hope. We want you to use this, this time and space to go deeper with the Lord. And, and there's this, I think there's this promise wrapped in this passage of Scripture this promise of healing, this promise of hope, this promise of strengthening, this promise of help. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you. I thank you that you continue to draw us to you. Confronting the Pharisees in this conversation about how they viewed Sabbath is an invitation to us is an invitation to us into a deeper relationship where you provide hope, help, healing, and salvation. Lord, you are inviting us to ask in these moments. So we come asking of the one who can provide. Amen.